Thanks, Chris. Thanks for the great introduction. It's good to see you again here in London. And what a great building this is. It's our first time, I think, for all of the Qantas staff to be at the Royal Aeronautical Society, and we're pretty impressed with the location. Um, so I'm very pleased to be here today uh, talking about the Brabazon, giving the Brabazon lecture uh, for the Royal Aeronautical Society. And I wanted to start off by a little bit of history. So this is a photograph from May 1921. And it is six months after Qantas was created. So Qantas, the Queensland and Northern Territories Aerial Services, was founded by three entrepreneurs, two that came back from the First World War and a grazier. And one of the pilots that uh, founded Qantas is in this picture. His name is Paul McGuinness. And he, he flew to a cattle station just outside Winton where the company was formed. And at that cattle station, he had a job, a mission, to fly aircraft looking for permanent water sources to run cattle. And it was for a landowner called Charles Brabazon, a relative of the man who we're here to honor tonight. Literally, he was one of our first passengers. Uh, now, uh, John Muir, uh, Muir Brabazon, who we're talking about this lecture is involved from, uh, was a man of first. He was the first man to get a license here in Britain. He was the first British citizen to fly a powered aircraft in Britain. And he was the first man to take a small pig on an aircraft <laughs> with a sign saying, I'm the first pig to fly. <laughs> a bit eccentric, but a trailblazer in the aviation industry. Um, and he was, like two of our founders, a First World War pilot, an aviator. And that stood him in good stead when he was appointed as head of the Brabazon Committee to look at aviation policy and aviation post the Second World War. And the second image I wanted to show from our archives is from 1945. And this is a picture um, and people with a keen eye will know this aircraft. And this was an aircraft that came out of the Brabazon Committee. It was one of the designs. And it was for a Bristol Brabazon, a gigantic aircraft that was built as a prototype, did fly as a prototype, but never went into production. And um, that aircraft was inspiration for Qantas at the time and showed on our posters and advertising. And when you look at the history of Qantas, we just celebrated our 97th year of operations, the oldest continuous airline in the world. And for Qantas to have existed that length of time, why did that longevity exist? Well, that longevity existed because Qantas kept on reinventing itself, kept on pushing boundaries, kept on changing its business, kept on making sure it was relevant. And I go through every decade of Qantas's history, and there's something significant occurred. In the 1920s, we actually built our own aircraft. I don't know if there are many airlines today that would say that. The de Havilland 50 and the de Havilland 9 were built on license in Longreach in outback Queensland. After the uh, Wall Street crash, Qantas needed to change its business model, and it in the 1930s, we went to British Imperial Airways and found one of the world's first partnerships. We flew to Singapore and connected passengers the rest of the way. 
in the 1940s when the Japanese invaded Southeast Asia and Qantas's flights uh, to, uh, to London couldn't connect through Singapore, Qantas created the amazing flights of the double sunrise, which from Perth in Western Australia to Sri Lanka. The flights uh, went once a week from 1942 to 1945, 271 flights all done uh, safely. And they were done with an amazing 28 errors to 32 errors in the air. They were called the secret order of the double sunrise because you saw two sunrises when you were on the aircraft. Still to this day, the longest flights that have ever existed and probably will never be beaten. And it had to be done in radio silence because the Japanese were trying to bring the aircraft down. In the 1950s, we took the um, Lockheed Con uh, Constellation and started around the world, only the second airline to do around the world services, again at the forefront. And then our relationship with Boeing started in the late 1950s. And it's great that we're celebrating uh, this lecture here in the Boeing Theater because we were the first customer for Boeing outside the United States with jets in 1959. And it was a challenge to Boeing that started that off because we needed an aircraft that could fly the Pacific, but it had to be able to land in Fiji in Nandi. And it's a very short runway, 2,000 meters. And there was the DC-8 and the 707 at the time, but neither of them as specced could land in Nandi. And Boeing raised to the challenge. They redesigned the 707 for us. They took 10 feet off the fuselage, added military engines to the aircraft, and lo and behold, the aircraft could land in Nandi. And of course, our relationship has become a bit of challenges ever since. In the, in the 1960s, in 65, we took uh, the 707 flew it from San Francisco to Sydney, 15 hours nonstop, the first time a flight occurred directly over the Pacific. At the end of the 1970s, Qantas created business class when the 747 uh, delivered. Business class didn't exist before that. 747 democratized air travel, and Qantas saw the potential for business class to exist. In the 1980s, another challenge to Boeing. In 1989, the London to Sydney direct flight on the 747-400, the longest flight that did exist. That flight, uh, unfortunately, had no passengers on board. <laughs> so we have done the direct flight in the past, but it defeats the purpose if you can't carry any people or freight on it. And then in the 1990s, we created One World, as one of the founding partners. And then in the 2000s, we created Jetstar, the first full-service airline in the world to successfully create a low-cost carrier. But through those ups and downs, there were periods where Qantas needed to also change its business operation. And probably the biggest transformation was the transformation we went through in this decade. We lost $2.8 billion in 2013. It looked really dramatic for the business and how it was performing. Its customer service ratings were some of the ups and downs that you could imagine. Qantas on a good day was really good. Qantas on a bad day was really bad. And we had engagement with our people that was an all-time low after the private equity 
attempted buyout and after the industrial action of 2011. The transformation needed to get our people behind it, and it did. The transformation needs to look at how we deliver customer service, and it did. And here now, three years later, we've delivered, thanks to our 30,000 people, a transformation program of over $2 billion. We're the best performing stock, airline stock, in the world for the last three years. Record profitability for the last two years. And we've seen the share price nearly um, go from uh, $1 to just about $6 in that period of time. Our customer ratings went to a record high just about every month, and our employee engagement has gone to a record high. We call that the trifecta of transformation. A lot of airlines has gone through transformation, fixed the financials, but dropped the ball when it comes to customer service or employee engagement. What's great about Qantas, it's its manage to manage all three of them. Now, we've created ourselves to be in a position to look to the future. And next week, we celebrate 70 years of operating the kangaroo route. In 1947, we started the flight with the, const uh, the Lockheed Constellation. Uh, the first flight was on an aircraft called the Charles Kingsford Smith and it carried 29 passengers. It took four days to get from Sydney to, to London. And on that flight, there was 2,000 pounds of parcels, food parcels, which were gifts from the Qantas employees to the colleagues in BOAC, because wartime Britain was rationed and food was at a premium. And we were, our employees were given parcels as part of that trip. The flight was navigated by Sexton at the time with an engineer called Alan Hughes. And you can imagine the difference between that and very properly what's going to happen next March with the first direct flight between Australia and Europe when we start Perth to London. It'll be 17 hours non-stop. It'll be done with the most sophisticated navigation system. And it is a partnership between a whole series of different agencies and different individuals to make it happen. The prime partnership is with Boeing to produce an aircraft that had the range to be able to do that flight. But we're also teamed up with the University of Sydney and the Charles Perkins Institute to actually redefine what long haul travel is all about. And they're working with us on a major health study to figure out how we reduce the impact of jet lag and super long haul flying. That's resulting in light scientists looking at the lighting on board the aircraft, food scientists working with Neil Perry, or chef, to redesign the menus to actually have food with different spices that can reset the circadian rhythms. And we've worked on every little inch of managing the weight on that aircraft. Our industrial designer, David Kayon, has worked with the crockery makers to reduce the weight of the crockery by 10% so that we get that little bit more out of the distance of the aircraft. We've worked with the University of Sydney on their field robotics department to figure out how, with 10 years of weather information and using drones in the air, how we can have a flight planning system that optimizes our flights and gets that little bit extra out of the flights on those roads. 
So we think there's a unique combination of expertise from Qantas, from Boeing, from the universities in Australia, from our industrial designers, to be able to create an aircraft that can do this, and it's something that Qantas has been uh, very proud of and very leading edge in the past. But it also comes to where we regard the future um, going in terms of aircraft. And while the 787 is a game changer for us in introducing these direct services, Qantas is not going to rest there. As a nod to the, the secret order of the double sunrise, Qantas has issued a challenge to both Boeing and Airbus to produce an aircraft by 2022 that can fly direct from Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane to London. We believe uh, that that aircraft will be the last frontier in challenging the distance that's always been a problem for the Australian market. We've gotten a great reaction from both manufacturers. Actually, just before I came here, I had a note from Tom Enders, the CEO of Airbus, saying that our team had gone to Toulouse, talked to Airbus about their aircraft, the 350, and he was very impressed with our approach now, to be clear, this challenge is to fly the route with full passengers and payload. <laughs> the aircraft can do it today, both the 777 and the 350, but we believe it can't do it with full payload. We do believe that more work is needed on both aircraft to get it there. Boeing similarly, and when we took delivery of the 787, Kevin McAllister gave a speech where he said that Boeing is up for this challenge. And like the 707, that was delivered in 1959, Boeing, if they have to, will make sure that they modify the 777-AX in order for it to, uh, to meet that route. Now, people ask, why is Qantas so focused on distance and not on speed? And why is distance a way of the future? Well, we believe, and we were a big fan of having supersonic aircraft. In fact, in 1964, Qantas put an order in for six of the SST and four Concorde. Unfortunately, they never made commercial sense. Boeing would tell you that they spent a billion dollars in developing the SST and nearly bankrupt them in the 70s. And there were only, as we know, 14 Concorde that created a whole series of issues about noise and sonic boom over land. The US Congress banned them traveling over land. There were concerns that if there were 500 aircraft traveling at 65,000 feet, there would be damage to the ozone layer. People thought that between 5 and 30% of the ozone layer could be damaged. So if there was an alternative and supersonic travel, and that was to be viable in the future, it'd be something we're keen on, but we do not see anything in the pipeline, certainly in our immediate future, to allow us to facilitate that. And when it comes to suborbital, um, aircraft, they're still going to be uh, the plaything of billionaires and millionaires. Um, and if you, if you look back at the history of the Kangaroo route, in 1947, when we first traveled that route, the average airfare was 325 pounds, the equivalent of 130 times the average person's salary, or in today's money, probably around $250,000. Suborbital happened to be the same price. So maybe in 70 years they can get down to the price today, 
which would be roughly two weeks of an average person's salary. The economics need a long time for them to be able to work. So when we look at our history, uh, when we look at the 97 years that we've been around, we see an airline that was founded by some amazing entrepreneurs, an airline that was, was uh, infused with this passion to be the world leader, to be the world first at what it did in distance, the world first in what it did in terms of product. We've seen an airline that's reinvented itself just about every decade. And we've seen an airline uh, that has had a vision for where they wanted to go to. In 1931, our founder, Hudson Fish, said that by 2031, he believed people would be getting on a bullet-like device, ready to get to London in little less than a day. He said that in 1931, uh, for a period 100 years later. Amazingly, I think a few uh, years less than that, we will have an aircraft that will do it, and his airline that he created in 1920 will be the first airline to do that. I think he and the rest of the Qantas founders would be pretty proud of where Qantas is today. I think they would look at the strength of Qantas, at the vision for Qantas, and its approach to challenging the distance and stretching the airline to new frontiers. And hopefully in, 1920, in 2022, we will have an aircraft that will break the last frontier of travel uh, will allowing us to fly direct from the eastern states into, into Europe. So thank you very much for, for listening to my uh, brief introduction into what we believe is the history of Qantas, the vision of Qantas, and the future of aviation when it comes to our operations. Thank you.